Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Geopolitical Report for October 30th, 2023. I'm Phil Adler. The conflict in the Middle East has plenty of investment implications. Confluence market strategist Patrick Fearon Hernandez joins us today to discuss how the current fighting might play out and what it means for the markets. Patrick, as we record our conversation, we know that the fighting is likely to take unforeseen turns. It's really impossible to predict events in the coming days, much less an eventual resolution with any confidence. But I wonder if there might be permanent ramifications for financial markets, no matter what happens next. Well, hi, Phil. On your point, I'm not sure anything is necessarily permanent in the financial markets, but this certainly could have long-lasting impacts. For one thing, a major shooting war involving a key U.S. ally and potentially drawing in the U.S. is likely to keep investors on edge for an extended period. This will really drive home one thing that we've been saying, namely that the relative peace and globalization of the post-Cold War period is done for. We're moving into a world that will likely be much more chaotic and risky than in the past few decades. Over many years, that will probably keep energy prices higher and more volatile than in the past. It'll probably keep consumer price inflation and interest rates higher and more volatile than in the past as well. And it'll probably help keep defense stocks well bid, but it could have a long-lasting negative impact on the attractiveness of Israeli stocks and other regional markets. One major theme of this conflict is the failure of intelligence to predict this attack by Hamas. What does this say about the usefulness of intelligence services? Well, I don't think it's a question of the usefulness of the intel services. Without doubt, they're useful. Think of how the Soviet Union used the Cambridge Five and its other spies in the 1930s and 1940s to steal the atomic bomb. That changed the world forever. And in the 1980s, our own spies in the Soviet Union helped sensitize U.S. leaders to how fearful they really were about our nuclear arsenal, prompting President Reagan to cool his red and work with Soviet President Gorbachev. The problem is that intel services aren't perfect. They can and do miss things, and that's what happened here. It was an intelligence failure, perhaps stemming from the Israelis' excessive reliance on technical intelligence gathering, which doesn't necessarily reveal an adversary's secret intentions. Do you think that a declining faith in the ability of intelligence to predict events like this will cause financial markets to elevate risk across the board in investment calculations? Exactly. It's not just that these kinds of things happen. It's also that they are surprising. It's that they seem to come out of the blue. That heightens the sense of risk and is likely to help keep investors on edge for some time to come. Patrick, it seems as we record this that this conflict may extend for months or or longer. How well is Israel prepared in terms of resources? Well, the Israeli defense forces are recognized as one of the biggest and most capable uh, militaries in the region. They also have lots of reserves available, given Israel's extensive conscription program. Large numbers of Israeli citizens have military training. On top of that, Israeli defense spending may be smaller as a share of the economy than you would think. The country currently spends less than 5% of its gross domestic product on defense, meaning that 
that over time, it could probably double its defense spending if necessary without necessarily hurting its long-term economic growth. Now, of course, after calling up all those reservists, it would be quite disruptive to keep them in their formations for a long time, and it would take some time to ramp up permanent defense spending. But in sum, the Israelis do have a lot of resources available, especially if they continue to be backed by the U.S., But certainly, Patrick, the Israeli economy will take a hit. We we know the country benefits from tourism, and we know that many technology companies call Israel home. What impacts seem likely? Yeah, tourism is almost certainly going to take a hit. But I'm most concerned about the country's successful, highly dynamic technology sector. A key economic risk for Israel is that investors and players in that sector will decide the environment is just too risky and perhaps they'll transfer operations elsewhere. And more generally, the conflict is likely to undermine general confidence and weigh on overall investment in Israel. This conflict may also serve to enlarge the U.S. federal deficit, which is already rising. Are we in a danger zone here? Well, the conflict could potentially worsen the U.S. deficit by slowing down economic growth and thus weighing on tax revenues, or by prompting even higher military spending here. In any case, yes, the U.S. fiscal trends are not going in the right direction. Since the U.S. issues the world's reserve currency, we probably have a lot more leeway with deficits and debt than other countries. Nevertheless, today's burgeoning deficits probably aren't good for the financial markets or economic stability. This conflict, Patrick, also appeared to stop Israeli-Saudi normalization talks in their tracks. If these talks had been successful, Saudi Arabia may have eased up on oil production controls. What are the possible ramifications for oil prices? Yeah, that's one of the key results of the crisis so far. Not only has Saudi Arabia suspended its talks toward normalizing relations with Israel, but other Arab states that have already done so are likely to take a step or two back from Tel Aviv amid domestic anti-Israeli protests. In a word, regional peace trends have been tripped up, and that will likely serve to keep oil prices higher than otherwise based on supply fears. I was wondering, do you think a wider conflict involving Iran might serve to bring the United States and Saudi Arabia closer together and that this possibility might prevent Iran from making extreme decisions? Yes, that's one potential path forward. Since Iran supports Hamas and other Islamist groups that are attacking Israel right now, there's a worrisome chance that Israel will ultimately decide to attack Iran itself. To convince the Israelis not to do that, the U.S. could agree to help pressure Iran by blockading its oil exports or something like that. Now, to do that, the U.S. may offer Saudi Arabia the chance to make up for Iran's shipments by boosting its own oil exports. The Saudis may like that idea since it would help weaken one of their key enemies and allow the Saudis to take advantage of higher oil prices. That's just one example of the ways that the current situation could play out. Patrick, what are the most important geopolitical goals for the United States as our country becomes involved in this conflict? 
Well, the U.S. will likely prioritize helping to preserve Israel's territorial integrity and security, preventing a hot war with Iran, allowing Israel to retaliate against and weaken Hamas, and to ease the new tensions between Israel and the Arab states. It will also be keen to avoid disruptions in global oil supplies if it can. Hamas demonstrated detailed military planning and organization when it attacked Israel. Does this suggest similar competence in the public relations race to spin world events in its favor? Definitely. And I think we've already seen that with the infamous explosion at Gaza's Al-Ali Arab Hospital. The Palestinians were very quick to publicly accuse Israel of firing a missile at the hospital, and Palestinian sympathizers all over the world seem to accept that. The Israelis were a bit slower in publicizing evidence to the contrary, and now credible news organizations seem to be pretty sure that the explosion came from a Palestinian missile that went awry. But still, those first impressions will be hard to change among those who are sympathetic to the Palestinians. That's what happens when a group or an organization has a good public relations effort. Confluence Investment Management had already been anticipating higher inflation worldwide as countries divide into competing geopolitical blocks. Does this conflict and the possibility of similar regional conflicts mean that higher inflation is pretty much a foregone conclusion? Well, at the very least, higher inflation and higher inflation volatility seem very, very likely going forward. With global supply chains fracturing and becoming less efficient, with new investment needs and deglobalizing capital flows, and with greater geopolitical instability, it's just really hard to see going back to the low inflation rates of 2% or so that we got used to over the last couple of decades. We still think 3% or more inflation with greater variability will be more likely to be the case going forward. Well, stocks and bonds seem riskier because of this conflict. Where are the safest places for investors to park their assets? Well, if you literally mean the safest, least volatile assets, then cash and short-term U.S. Treasury obligations are, are tried and true. And besides, you can get a yield of 5% or so on those right now. So far in this conflict, gold and oil have also outperformed. But of course, without the benefit of any yield. Now, looking forward, we think the situation is entirely consistent with other themes that we've been emphasizing, such as defense industry stocks and energy stocks. And in fact, it does seem that this crisis does not fundamentally change the long-term financial outlook previously advocated consistently by Confluence Investment Management. Am I right? Yeah, that's pretty much correct. In fact, it may help to think of it like this. The Israeli-Hamas conflict is entirely consistent itself with the global fracturing and increasingly chaotic geopolitics that we've been forecasting. Therefore, it's totally in line with the economic and financial trends that we've identified, which I've been discussing here. Just to reiterate, our main themes remain increasingly fractious geopolitics, fractured supply chains, higher and more volatile inflation and interest rates, and therefore a preference for short maturity assets, commodities, and equities, especially those in the industrial, defense industry, energy, and mining spaces. 
Thank you, Patrick. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our audio engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.